It's been a minute since I sat down to do a proper Pusher Mania podcast, and uh, reason being is I kind of don't like podcasts. To be honest with you, I listen to a lot of these. I hear I, I hear somebody I want to I want to hear what they've got to say. Some of these new artists, some of the legends that come out on these podcasts, and I just hear a lot of talking, a lot of noise, and I don't really want to do a podcast for the sake of just doing a stupid podcast. You can hear my voice on the Pusher Mania playlist show anytime you want, but then you're also going to hear a lot of new music. But when one of my old partners comes to town, Maine, somebody I haven't talked to in even longer comes around and I know has an incredible story for y'all. I got to grab the mic and we got to sit down and do this. We're in the studio right now with the Houston legend, y'all. We've got Toe Down in the house. What's going on, brother? What's going on, gangster? At first, I didn't even know who you were talking about. I was like, ooh, a legend. I can't wait to meet this guy. Who is he? Man, dude, please. I mean, think about it. Man, you come from a whole different era in Houston. And we've been sitting here without... We should have had the mic on the whole time, probably. We might have bored some people. We're sitting here reminiscing, talking about those days. And there's no two ways about it, brother. You were there. You were there in the beginning. You were there through some of the most incredible times in Houston. The, the times that made... You know, the things everybody knows about now. The When the foundation was being laid. You were right there. I want to talk to you about your history because, and we'll we'll go back even further. Thugs of another kind. Wow, I haven't forgotten that. <laughs> we'll go back to all that, but I think what I'd like to start out with, let's talk about Screw a little bit. Okay. You had a song called Country Rap Tunes. Uh-huh. That was the song that really, after Thugs of Another Kind, I know that was the song that you really broke out with, but I think even you would say that Screw broke that song. Yeah, you know... Um, how I got introduced to uh, Screw was this guy named Hawk, and Big Hawk was on the Country Rap Tune album. And actually, the Country Rap Tune was actually supposed to feature UGK, but at the time they were doing a record uh, with Jay Z called Big Pimpin', and they were just way out of my budget at that time. So I ended up getting this guy Hawk on the record, and uh, Hawk, you know, everybody knows Hawk, Fat Pat's brother. He was like, "Hey, have you met Screw yet?" And I was like, no, I haven't met Screw yet. So he made a phone call, and he was like, all right, cool. Show up over at Screw's house around 7 o'clock. Uh, you know, you can meet him and stuff like that and go talk to Screw. So my brother and I, you know, we go to uh, – he, he was in Missouri City at the time. We go knock on the door, and we get greeted with this – uh, you know, this black guy shows up at the door with an AK-47. And uh, <laughs> I immediately kind of, like, backed up for a second. I was like, hey, listen, my name's Toe Down. Hawk sent me over here. And immediately put the AK-47 down and Screw, you know, welcomed me with open arms. And that was the first time I had ever met Screw. And uh, that night, uh, I hung out at, at his house for, you know, 10 or 12 hours. And, uh, you know, at Screw's house, there's no there's no place to sit down. There was just nothing but records from wall to wall. So, you know, it wasn't comfortable standing up for that time. But, you know, I was in the presence of someone that I idolized and wanted to work with. And so Screw and I had a long conversation that night. And the one thing that, you know, we wanted to uh, become was the Dr. Dre and Eminem of the South. So, you know, Screw, I got to see Screw work. Um, Screw was on the album by prescription only, and it was because Screw endorsed a country rap tune that that's why it had so much success. Because here is the you know the main guy in Houston that's doing underground records endorsing this white guy, and now you know six months after I met him, I'm in the screwed up click. It was kind of like surreal because you know I listened to Screw all through high school, jamming Screw. You know that's how I got my music. You know Screw was the Spotify back then. Screw was the iTunes. If you didn't have Screw in your deck, you didn't know what was new that was coming out. So 
uh, meeting Screw, that was just one of these, you know, bucket list type things. And then to be able to work with him, um, it was a whole different reality. And then, you know, I have Screw co-signing on the country rap tune basically gave me a pass for, you know, every mixtape that came out after that. So I was good, thanks to Screw. And I wouldn't be here sitting here talking to you about it 16 years later if it wasn't for Screw. Well, talking about that, you came from the Southwest side, right? Mm -hmm. I would assume in that era, before you met Screw, coming up, maybe even yourself, but you were probably around kids who barely heard rap music that wasn't Screwed. Like, at that time in Houston, people do not understand who weren't there they do not understand the impact that Screw had on his community. I always say that there were better DJs in the world. There were bigger DJs in the world. But there is no DJ ever that had the effect that Screw had on his own community. The only way to explain it, like I said before, there wasn't a Spotify or an iTunes. So uh, how I discovered Bone Thugs and Harmony was through a Screw tape. How I discovered all the latest and greatest artists was through a Screw tape. And since Screw was in our backyard, if you... If you didn't listen to Screw, you didn't find out what was trendy and what was hot and what was going on at that time. So I remember the first time I heard a Screw tape, uh, I was probably in eighth grade, and this guy starts playing this uh, this tape on his uh, record play on on his um, on his boombox, and I was like, "Hey man, I think your batteries are dead, you know, because it's not playing the tape right." And I was like, "Man, this is Screw." I was like, screw what? You know, I didn't understand what it was at first. And then, you know, um, after listening for, you know, about a week, you know, it's like a trance. It sucks you in, you know. And then, you know, me, I always like the extracurricular activities. So throwing in some good weed and some drink. And then next thing you know, I'm, I'm, I'm mesmerized and hypnotized by this. And you get lo literally lost in the music. And you actually, you know, people always say this all the time. I can feel the music. <sighs> And by, you know, listening to Screw, you're able to feel the music. It was slowed down to um, a melodic, slow pace that you could just dive in and really feel the music. And, you know, that's how people in my neighborhood listen to records. They listen to Screw tapes. And so people would pass uh, Screw tapes around, you know, hey, I got... You know, I got this tape, or I got this new Tupac screw tape, or I got this Bone Thug screw tape, and you would swap them out. But the problem is, if you swapped it out with somebody, the likelihood of you getting it back was slim to none because it either was staying in their deck or they had passed it on to somebody else. So you had to go get another screw tape. And, you know, and like I said before, he was such a figure in our community at that time that, um, there's a lot of other talented DJs breaking records, but no one broke them like Screw. If you were if you were on a Screw tape, you you were cooking with fish grease. You know, you were coming down with some good stuff. Well, that's I think a lot of people have the similar story of you know when the first time you hear it, you wonder is the tape broken. I really didn't like Screw the first few times I heard him, and I I didn't really understand why this was happening. And to talk about what you just said. I used to say I smoke weed every fucking day and I don't understand why what the fuck I didn't have the drink back then obviously but I was like I didn't get it but then all of a sudden it just clicks you know it became undeniable you know and if you lived in Houston there was no getting around the fact that he ran that shit like he ran it and like it's 17 years later almost not 16 and a half I guess since he passed Whew. It's so crazy to me to go to, to Screwed Up Records and Tapes and see his those mixes are still selling. People want that. It's still relevant. It's still great music. And not only that, but 
to hear his stuff compared to somebody else's. You got to understand, Screw didn't screw down uh, a CD. You had to actually have the vinyl. And so while we were making by prescription only, uh, we had to get up acetates or test presses done so he could screw the record down. Because Screw didn't work off of CD turntables. This was a DJ who uh, worked with vinyl, you know. So most people don't understand that when you still listen to that uh, screw tape, it's authentic because it's done from vinyl. You know, vinyl has that certain feel to it. And to see him work the TT-1200s in a way that he did, that authentic DJing with the authentic screw that comes out on those records, you can't get that with anybody else. And that's not a knock on Watts or, you know, OG Ron C. You know, these are two guys that have taken it to a whole nother level. But even Screw said at that time, you know, why don't those guys call it something else? You know, because this was DJ Screw saying this was his his uh, his way of doing things. And, you know, when somebody imitates you, it's flattery. But, you know, some people didn't think of it that way. So the screw tapes that are still out there are still relevant to this day because it comes from a genuine place. Man, to go deeper than that, even when it comes to records. I think about music today, and we were talking about Spotify just a minute ago, and how like we all have almost every album ever made in our pockets. You know, we can go listen to anything. But I didn't have for some years, you know, having kids and all this stuff. I didn't set up my turntable for a minute. I didn't have like the old, I've got the old school receiver now and all this shit. And I started pulling out records again. And when you just what you said about a screw tape, feeling it, man, like you can listen to MP3s on five thousand dollar headphones if you want to with the greatest computer ever and it sounds crisp and perfect it's amazing sound fine there it's missing a real dimension that we got to come up with with the resonation of that music from vinyl and even from tapes any of the analog stuff but vinyl especially the way it hits your chest the way it hits your soul is different from the way all of us not just kids i'd listen to mp3s all day you know it's different it's too pretty you know the vinyl provides a warmthness to it. You know, the reason, you know, I come from an analog recording uh, uh, studio. That's how, when I first got started, and then I got into digital studio. I was the first digital studio in Houston. Um, but the reason analog sounds the way it does is because it has this warmth. When you record on like a two inch tape reel, and your vocals have a natural warmth to them, that when you record on a computer, it's super, super clean. It's so crisp and so clean. But the warmth that analog provides, and I think, like you said, it hits you in your chest differently. It plays differently. You know, even to hear the crackle from the needle not being clean, you know, it's just those small uh, nuances that bring you back to that day that time that place you know kind of like where you know your parents might say i remember where you know where kennedy got shot well listen i remember the first time i heard the screw tape and where i was at you know so it provides that for you and you know you don't get the same sound uh from an mp3 as you do uh you know a, a good piece of vinyl man well speaking of mp3s and things like this we're talking about history Let's give them some music. Let's, why don't we start off with country rap tunes? Let's play the play the original man and uh, look back a little bit at what you've done. And you brought some new music today too, right? I did. The act, uh, the name of the new CD is uh, called Mr. Country Rap Tunes. So uh, I like to say this right here, this song, Country Rap Tunes, is the start of a genre that it took an underground king, Pimp C himself, and myself, a thug of another kind, to really bring this thing into fruition. So here's Country Rap Tunes by your boy Toe Down featuring Big Hawk and Big Pokey. <laughs> <laughs> 
man. Ace Town. Um, Sam. Third Coast, we hold the most. DJ Screw, you know what I'm saying? I'm in With my niggas. Big Hawk. Big Pokey. And Toadown. Grizz on the beats. Y'all gonna feel this. Third Coast. We shining and grinding, man. Screwed up Texas. I'm gonna let them boys speak on it, though. I'm from the land of longhorns and cattle. We ride leather and wood. Seat belts with saddles. Chrome wagon wheels. Carriages with candy paint. Stand up. Tumbling weed. We be blowing dang. Sun up to sundown. I lost the blood that's cold. Bounty hunters are hunting. Six shooters make them fall. My material stay lit. My peace be shining. Wanted dead or will I post it? Cities I'm arriving, ain't no deciding when I'm sliding or slugging the chain. Southside Strangler and Wrangler, strong arm and strength. Days are hot and long, and the nights are restless. All my exes live in the best of the whole house in Texas. The devil's riding dirty to Georgia with two aces. I'm not Garth Brooks, but I got friends in low places. Out of the south with one, packing gas and stacking funds. Gotta know when to walk away, know when to run. Dirty South, the third coast, we hold the most. You know what I'm saying? Keeping it real. Trying to make a meal. You feel me? Giving y'all a ski take. Let these boys speak on it. I'm Houston's best kept secret. Uncut and raw On this country western route Take ten steps then draw One the codes you ever saw Immortal outlaw Watch me shred this track Like a Texas chainsaw Adjectives and nouns Sipping drinks Blowing pounds And all the drugs I ain't take Courtesy told I Oh now I'm representing the dirty side White cup in my hand Billy blunt in my mind About to turn this party out It's the H-A-W-K Rest the ball and parlay And smoke my life away H-Time Superstar Sipping soda Mix the bar Thought you'd never hear my lyrics Over a bass guitar My horse is a car With the V-12 motor And my carriage is a 4.6 Range Rover The game is over Sitting new trends Now this country resting Cause a freestyle pro, that's the show, that's all the host 
Every time, just hit, talk about hitting you in the chest, man. That was and, and Pokey, of course, is amazing legends. That you know, they're some of our OGs. But Hawk, to me, was a big, big part of Houston when he was around. Man, he was one of those people, and, and I'd like you to speak on this a little bit. You said he was the one who first told you to go to Screw's house and stuff, but that's what I loved in that era, especially with a dude like that, where. He Hawk especially never held back anyone. That dude put so many, including myself. You know, if we were, you're trying to do something in Houston, Hawk pretty much had your back. Well, you know, Hawk was like the ambassador to Houston for a long time. You know, when his brother Fat Pat died, uh, Hawk picked up that torch and he kind of ran with it. And Hawk was just such a genuine, honest person that if you needed something done, uh, he was the go-to guy. And uh, I remember playing the country rap tune uh, instrumental for him. And it, I can't really do a good hawk impression, but oh, toe down, that's a hit right there, baby. I mean, it was just so, he was just so country and so authentic with it, you know? Uh, and, you know, when we had did the country rap tune video shoot at the time, uh, none of those guys really were on a, uh, had done a high budget video shoot so we flew out uh 20 people from the screwed up click and everybody out to la to shoot the video by the time we ended up wrapping the video and coming back there was about 60 people on the plane because everybody wanted to come out to see what we were doing we filmed it on the original dukes of hazard set we used the actual uh, original cars from uh the dukes of hazard because it was a warner brothers product and uh i just remember being there in that moment and you know you never thought, and at that time, you know, to be part of the screwed up clique out in California doing this country rap that was endorsed by Screw was surreal because Screw was just basically in Texas and Louisiana at the time. It really wasn't what it is, you know, now. As now it's in Japan, you know, it's 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 everywhere. So it was a real moment that we all had to just take in and breathe for a second. And I remember Mike D being there, and it was like his first time he had ever been out to L.A., and, you know, it was just a real awesome feeling, and just to think that Hawk was really the one that put all this in play, you know, Hawk was the ambassador 
for Houston. Hawk, you know, if you were on, <laughs> if you were on the road with Hawk, uh, he took care of things that you know normally other people don't take care of. You know, I remember trying to get my feet wet and trying to do shows early on, and Hawk would be like, "Come on, toe down, let's go do these shows." You know, and Hawk was that guy that. He wanted to see you succeed just as much as he wanted to succeed. And that was good having the big homie in. Uh, you know, Hawk to this day, I, I keep repping him. Every time I go do a show, I always make sure I got a couple of Hawk songs in my set. And the crowd still goes crazy. I do chilling with my broad, and you see the hands go up. And then I do the country rap tune, and the hands go up. And, you know, I just don't do my verse from the country rap tune. I continue to do Hawk stuff. And uh, until my last breath, I represent Hawk. We have to. We have to. It was such a tragic loss. Remember, though, back in those days when you could make videos like that off this fucking music? <laughs> you, know, you know, it's kind of crazy because, you know, that video budget was for 500000 Now I can shoot a video for $1,000, you know? And uh, it's kind of crazy, you know? The money back then was certainly different. Uh, the first deal I ever signed was for a million bucks. It was for a half million advance and a half million dollar video budget. Now, you know, to get $50,000 out of a label is kind of crazy, you know? So, uh, you know, the game has changed for the good and the bad. You know, the bad side might not, you, you know, you might not get that large advance as you once did. But the good is that I can go right now in my studio, drop something and put it out immediately right now, direct to consumer, where before you'd have to go through a process of pressing it up and uh, it'd take, you know, a couple weeks just to get all the promotional material, you know, ready and get set to go and setting up a video shoot and, you know, when you're on a major label, going out and, sh and filming where the unions are. Well, listen, nowadays, I can put out a record tonight, have the video shot by the end of the weekend, and it's direct to consumer, and you're able to listen to it. That's a good thing, you know. The bad thing is we don't get the half-million-dollar advance anymore. So keep supporting your uh, local artists. Man, it's incredible, though, to see. I've got to talk to you. I know people want to know where you've been, man. <laughs> I saw you on the news. I know a bit about it. I want to know a little bit more about that case because as an artist, especially right now, like what you just talked about, I feel like being gone, was it five years? Five years. Five years. Dude, how much, not to saying did you miss, but like coming out even five years later, this music landscape and doing what you do, man, what it stuff has moved so fast. It's kind of crazy. It's really incredible to see you jumping back into it. I think it's really important, and, it, and it's a great thing. But I'm kind of like, when you came out, how ready were you for, like, this new music climate? Well, you know, just to talk real quick about the case for the people that don't know, you can go to YouTube and just type in Toe Down Gets Arrested. You know, it's T-O-W-D-O-W-N Gets Arrested. And it's actually kind of, you know, comical now that we sit here and talk about it. But allegedly... Uh, I was growing, you know, $10 million worth of weed a year. And at the time, what had happened was in 2007, 2008, the music industry kind of just dropped out with the internet. You know, we had Southwest Wholesale in our backyard, which was a music distributor. We are getting paid $7 a record. Then Napster, iTunes comes into play. And as a record company, you're making 70 cents a song. So there's really not, there's that big discrepancy in your, in your royalty checks now. So my brother and I decided that, hey, listen, we're going to start growing some weed. And like everything else, we do it big in Texas. So not just having one grow house, we ended up with 21 grow houses. And apparently after the third arrest, my first arrest was at the MTV uh, uh, Video Music Awards. And that, that, that was the first arrest. And then 
two more arrests after that, the federal government stepped in and they're like, you know what, toe down, you're going to have to sit down for a little bit. So um, I got sentenced to uh, 120 months. Um, but after accepting responsibility, they knocked it down to 87 months. And with my good time and doing a couple drug classes, I was able to get out in, in about 60 months. But as you were speaking about earlier, you know, coming home to this climate, I went in um, not even focused on music because music played more of a backseat to what I was doing. See, what had happened was is I was rapping was my main job and smoking weed was my hobby. But then in 2007, 2008, the role switched where weed was my main job and rapping was my hobby because I remember one weekend... My brother and I, we had cut down 50 pounds of weed over at his house. He had a, you know, 6,700 square foot uh, estate, and we had 25 grow lights in it. And we had just cut down 50 pounds of weed. And I was like, hey, I'm going to meet you at the studio. I'm going to go take a shower. Uh, I'll meet you at the studio. I got some clients I need to sell some weed to. Well, I get back to the studio, all the weed's gone. And then sitting right in front of me is $200,000 in cash. And I was so upset that I didn't get to sell any of my weed to any of my clients that I was going to teach my brother a lesson. So I just grabbed as much cash as I possibly could, put it in my pockets and called up all the homies and a couple girlfriends like, hey, listen, we're not coming home until all this money is spent. And I still remember waking up the next day and I still had a pocket full of cash. So while other people were trying to figure out how to sell records, I was selling weed on such a larger scale that the music scene to me, took a back seat. You know, I still did Little Wayne's mixtapes. I still did the Paul Wall album. I still did the Mike Jones record. I still did the Chameleon record. I still were doing these, you know, mixing, mastering, recording, producing. I was still doing these things, but it wasn't, it, it wasn't what I was into. I was into more growing weed at that time. So when I got locked up in 2011, I didn't have the passion for weed as I, I mean, the passion for music as I did for weed. And I didn't have the same passion because I didn't have screw with me. I didn't have Hawk right beside me. So the things that I fell in love with in the game in the beginning had changed. I'd become a more of a producer and an engineer than an artist. So at the time, music really wasn't my true passion when I got arrested. So going in, I kind of lost this this love of the music. But what happens when you get locked up, you're stripped down. You know, not just physically, but you're stripped down emotionally and you start to, you know, re-engage with, you know, yourself and you, you find out a deeper self that you're going to. You know, you have a lot of time to focus on your health and God and some other things. So this passion for music started slowly coming back. And Pimp C is the one who taught me how to produce music, you know. And Pimp C put a lot of emotion into his music. So you can put in a UGK record today and it's still relevant as it was 10, 15 years ago. So when I came home and I was checking the climate of what the music is, I could barely even understand what was being said on the radio. You know, here are these young cats that emulate this Houston style with these with these double cups, but they don't even know where the double cup came from. Big Mo started the double cup because he couldn't mix his drink properly because he was mixing so much drink. He needed two cups, you know, and to see Drake with a double cup or Lil Wayne with a double cup, and these guys don't even know Big Mo, you know, to see people swagger jack my city and my culture, I was a little upset and heated about that. And then at the same time, 
these cats that are making music really aren't even making music. I mean, I could, you know, no knock to design or anything, but let's put on a, you know, a D4L song right now and see if it's relevant. Laffy Taffy is not going to be relevant, just like design is not going to be relevant, you know. These are trend, these are trendy things that are happening. A UGK record you could put on today and it's still relevant. And that, so when I came home, I wanted to make relevant music again. And that's what this new single I used to know that we'll play in a second. It tells a story about how I was in incarcerated and now I'm coming home and the phone's not ringing you know the city has changed the skyline has changed the people have changed even Mary Jane has changed you know she was you know 4,800 a pound when I left now I can go on any street corner and get it for 2,000 it's not as good as what I used to do you know I'm not saying I was the best weed grower in Texas but I'm gonna say top five but even Mary Jane had, had changed so you know the the climate of the music was so different that I want to bring some realism back to the music. I wanted to bring something that you could feel, kind of like how Screw hits you in your chest when you listen to it for the first time. You know, how UGK produced music, that ride and dirty, that tell me something good feel. And that's the kind of music that I love. And I want to make music for people to listen to today, tomorrow, and in the future. And the climate at the time was mumbling and, you know, these guys didn't video. You can barely understand what they're saying. And, I mean, I've I've looked at the designer video three times with the lyrics written on the video. And I still don't understand what the hell he's saying. I don't even know what a credit card and scanner is. You know what I'm saying? So it was one of those things that I wanted to bring some realism back to the music. And, you know, if you want to play I Used to Know right now, we'll get into I Used to Know. Let's do this brand new music from Toe Down here on the Pusher Mania podcast. I used to know my way around. Now I'm a stranger in my own hometown. I look at the phone that never rings. Trying to find a reason to doing things. Fresh off my fed bed, homebound on the greyhound, the place I used to live. Somehow things have changed now. Bathroom. I want my old life 
see Pat Screw and Hawk Who paved the way So a G could walk Yeah, I talk that talk And I walk that walk music and just in this life it's kind of crazy to hear your last story though because it speaks to houston and you know we've been deep in it for a long time we know a lot of the people 2007 2008 you started doing what you were doing i went and got a fucking job i was like fuck this shit to be honest man it kind of got to that point when he's after i think you know we had that moment where houston blew up but in my opinion I, you know, all those artists who got signed from Slim to Chameleon Air, all those guys are great. Amazing music, and they all make great records. I'm not talking shit about them, but that when that fucking industry came to Houston and that shit happened, that almost wiped out what made Houston Houston. And that, for me, was where I was like, all right, I'm going to move to Austin. I'm getting a job. You know what I mean? Like, I think, I, I'm wondering if, you know, obviously the weed was more lucrative at the time or whatever, but did that play? I mean, was there... I don't want. I don't know how to say. It. Like I, I could say for myself, there was a after being through seeing what happened with Screwed Up Click and all the coolest shit when the Swisher House was really coming up and how amazing that stuff was. I was disappointed at that time. After two thousand six and all that stuff, I was starting to get kind of like fuck, man. You know, with that music in Houston. Well, you know, for a while, like I said, we depended on Southwest Wholesale in our backyard, which was a great thing because we could come out and sell records and get these big advances and do big things and continue to big uh, do things like that. But like I said, in 2007, 2008, all that dried up. So if you didn't already have uh, a lifeline of cash or, or a reserve of cash, you were screwed. You were basically, hey, it's time to go get a job. You know, uh, luckily, Electra had given me enough money where I'd opened up a studio where I didn't need to really go get a job. I could do music full time and I had enough clients because at that point, every rapper that was on my albums were my studio clients. So, Chameleon Air, Paul Wall, Little Wayne, Little Flip, Zero. These were my clients that had come to the studio. And at the time, I'm doing $125 an hour of studio time because. We didn't have Screw's house to go record at. We didn't have anything on the south side. And, you know, I remember Mike Jones driving down there and he uh, recording his whole album. And then Chameleon Air on his mixtape would be like, fool, that's not your studio. That's Toe Downs. That's on the south side. So it was always a constant thing that on the south side, when Screw passed away, I was the only studio on the southwest side. And it was, you know, it was a nice recording studio. It was, you know, top of the line, MTV real world type 
vibe to it. So when 2007-2008 kind of happened, if you weren't the elite in Houston, you weren't going to survive the game. And that was just the realism. Now, what happened at that point as far as music musically concerned, you started getting a regurgitation of basically Houston artists, but with a different name. Everybody was coming down. Everybody was sipping drink. Everybody was riding slabs. And so when I came home and, you know, I hear the same thing on the radio as I did. I thought Houston is not growing musically like it needs to. It needs something in the soil down here to feed and fertilize it to cultivate these new artists. There's nothing that's growing out of Houston. It's just the same repetitive, regurgitated stuff over and over. There's only t- so many times I want to hear about you coming down in your slab on some swingers. Uh, listen, that's been done and ran through the mud a thousand times. So when I came back and I started working on you know my project Mr. Country Rap Tunes I want to do something different I want to do something that it's good music but on a different vibe where yeah I still got a couple tracks that bring back that old Houston uh, nostalgia feel to it but the meat the core of the album is something fresh and and new for Houston you know here we have this country rap uh, movement, this hip-hop movement where Jelly Roll and Colt Ford and Big Smo are out there and these guys are getting it. But we come from Houston, Texas, man. This is this is the place. Every time I went out to L.A. or, or New York, they'd ask me, you ride horses? And I'd tell them, yeah, I got 500 of them in my V12 bins, you know? So you we are in this culture, and in 2007, 2008, it just became real stagnant. Everything kind of just... You know, it just kind of felt like we were just trapped in a time warp. And so when I started working on new music, I wanted to do something fresh, new, exciting. And that's where Mr. Country Rap Tunes came about. Man, I feel that, man, for real. Who are you working with on the new album? Like, who are you working with on production? You said you learned production from Pimp C. And we've been talking about you've been with the Houston Elite right there for years. Like, who are you working with now in 2017? Uh, Right now, I'm working with J-Star Music, uh, Jeff Ali, one of the coldest producers in the game right now also i'm working with john connor he's out of nashville he's with damn it boy um he did the big smoke project and some other stuff and uh, a lot of the stuff i do myself along with uh the genius who is out of actually canada so um the whole thing is i like good music and if somebody has a track that's good i'll entertain that idea and i'll try to run with that but I got everybody on the album from Paul Wall to Bubba Sparks, Slim Thug, Bun B, uh, you know, the usual cast of characters, Big Pokey. Uh, so the screwed up click's still there. Everybody's still there. Everybody still supports. I got zero on a track. So um, I still got the H-Town feel, but it's more of a, uh, imagine if Houston went and invaded Nashville for a second. That's kind of the feel that the album kind of brings to me right now. You know, at first I was going to call the album live from the feds and give it a real UGK type feel. But as I started going on about doing these songs, I did a song with Big Poe and I did a Dick, I, I did a song with Big Smo and then I did a song with Mike Manic and these are guys that are in that country rap hip hop lane that are kind of big. So when these guys started coming on, I started taking on a whole different feel to it. Not that it's it's twangy and corny in the hip hop sense, but it's got depth like a UGK record, like uh, Tell Me Something Good and uh, One Day You're Here, The Next Day You're Gone. It's those records that Pimp C taught me how to emulate pimp c basically produced blues records that were hip-hop and because they were country sound and that's added the country rap 
to that genre and that's how country rap really came about now what country rap is is that hip-hop is so diverse it's gone into every orifice in America so you know you have East Coast West Coast you have Miami you have LA you have uh, Atlanta you have bounce you have trap and now it's in the sticks it's out there with these guys riding four-wheelers at these mud parks and it kind of looks like Mad Max at a rave party and these guys are out there you'd expect to be jamming like Garth Brooks and Toby Keith and Jason Aldean and these guys are jamming Zero and Lil Wayne and Paul Wall and so these guys that are in this genre of hick hop are basically some hicks that like hip hop records and that's what the lane is. So now you have, you know, you have Yellow Wolf and you have Bubba Sparks. So uh, it's coming full circle. So these guys are out here in this lane now and it's created this own genre, this subgenre that's really catching on. It kind of it kind of reminds me of when Screw started catching on. You know, it started off small and organic and that's the way this is right now. It's a real trip to see how far hip-hop has spread because I've had this conversation with people recently. Man, when we were coming up, straight the fuck up. Everybody did not listen to hip-hop when we were coming up, man. Like, now, even if you're... Like you just said, you'd think they'd be listening to Toby Keith or whatever, but they're listening to the same rap shit that everybody is. It's so crazy to see. Now, I want to say one aside. I remember this very vividly. The first person I ever heard use the term hip-hop was a dude from here in Austin named Looney. This was in 1995, and I remember there was a group that Tim Kerr, who was an old-school legend here, he's still around, uh, still doing incredible art and music, uh, and there was a group called Horse Thief. There was a couple groups out here in 95 that were talking about that type of shit. That's 22 years ago, and uh, and I remember that specifically because I remember where I worked and where I was sitting when Looney sat down and was explaining his whole concept of hip-hop to me, and I've never forgotten that, and now to see, like, I mean... You had to come up. You came up in Houston. This was not a white thing at all in Houston. And I don't, I don't even really like to talk about race at all in this shit because fuck it. You know, we're all making music and you have your history. There's no one that can deny what you did. But there was a big fucking difference back then between what's here and now. Like when you walked in the club, I walked in the club. There weren't a bunch of white people. There wasn't at all. Listen, we uh, we had a rule that if you were on our promotional team and we went to Jamaica, Jamaica or wherever it was, don't step on anybody's shoes. That's what you don't do. You don't step because you're going to get into a fight, you know. So that was just, the, you know, the nature of it. Because you have to remember being white and being rap in my day when I was when I first started coming out, the only guy before me was Vanilla Ice. And that left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouth. There wasn't Eminem and Paul Wall to follow after. So um, when but, we... But you know what I have to say? I'm not, I hate to interrupt you, but what sucks is it wasn't the white rappers that were so horrible. It was the people that put the marketing behind them and turned them into what they were because fucking Vanilla Ice was battling at the Rhinestone Wrangler at the same time K. Reno... And Willie D were battling at the Rhinestone Wrangler. Willie, fucking Vanilla Ice was in that shit. Like, you can't really... I don't like him. I fucking hated Ice Ice Baby. I hated Vanilla Ice. I still don't like him necessarily, but I can't take that away from him. You 
know, he at this, I think he still holds the Guinness Book of World Records for selling 15 million albums in like three months or something like that. Some some old crazy crap. But you know, uh, being a white guy in the rap club in the rap scene at that time, you did stick out. You know, and then so one of my things was not to emulate a culture, but to have respect for the culture. You know, I was a white guy that liked rap music. That doesn't mean I have to come. You no, know I'm saying it's going down. I don't have to do all that. I don't have to be something I'm not. I can just be me. I can be genuine and people respect it. That's why I walk around with these four fucked up curls on my head because it's different. Listen, I get the most strangest looks everywhere I go because of my hairstyle. But in a sense, that's just a marketing ploy for you to have a conversation. If I can get you talking, I can get you interested in what I'm doing. Because as soon as you open your mouth to me and we have a conversation, you're going to realize that I'm just not some old weird fucking smoking weed hippie guy. You're going to be like, what? Wait, what the fuck? You do music? And then that creates a lane that I can, you know, introduce you to my music. But at the time, there was no riffraff. <laughs> there was none of this stuff. So, you know... When I took the country rap tune to radio, they told me it was too country. And then when I took it to country radio, they told me it was too rap. Now, you know, uh, 16 years later after the country rap tune's been out, now you hear stuff like country rap radio, you hear uh, hip hop, you hear terms that are now coming off of what Screw and I did along with Pimp C that now finally Pimp C can say there is a country rap genre there is a own lane for this stuff you know and it bounces back and forth Corey Moe is a great advocate for country rap produced some of the greatest records and shout out to Corey Moe uh so definitely going down so you know what it is now you know you have Mac Miller you you have you know the guys that have blazed a trail like Haystack and Bubba Sparks and myself so you know, now you can be white and listen to rap music. It's still, you know, relevant. And now Eminem, the most all-time greatest rapper, period. He's a white guy, you know. So now it's a lot easier for you to be uh, white and in this culture. Where before, you, Paul and I would be at events and we'd be the only two white guys in the whole event. You know, and this is how it was. And we're still chilling. Everything was cool, man. I have to say, though, the reason I, I kind of brought that up is because there is a new climate out there. When you mentioned Jelly Roll and them earlier, like, I don't really listen to Jelly Roll like that. I remember Michael Knight when he was in Texas, honestly. I remember I saw the transformation. I saw Cool Whip. I knew Cool Whip back in the day. These dudes, I mean, these are dudes who have been in this gang, haystack. And this, this these guys aren't new. They've been putting in work just like you to make a habit in their communities but when i see like how like those dudes did not those jelly roll got shit on early on to an extent you know what i'm saying like people weren't just he didn't just bust out and everybody loved jelly roll man he fucking put the work in to make it to get to where he's at now and now what's crazy is there's a whole new scene like they have their own actual scene like they didn't just come in and and blow up they actually built a fucking scene like bricks on a house it was crazy you know it's very uh it's very um similar to how screw did it you know it's a lot of hand to hand hey check this out hey check this out and that's how stuff happens you know it's very organic the way this thing is and it reminds me a lot of, i was telling you this earlier it reminds me a lot of how the country rap tune was taking off is how uh, my new album is kind of doing right now because what i did is the same formula i used to 
produce my first record, go get the hottest rappers that are out there right now. And that's the same thing I kind of did. I got the hottest rappers that are out there right now that are not only in the uh, rap lane, but also in the hip-hop, the country rap lane as well. And so when I did that, now, like you said, there is a lane that we can... I can go to Nashville, where before I couldn't even get close to Nashville, you know? And, you know, Michael Knight, Jelly Roll, uh, Big Smo, Yellow Wolf, um, uh, Struggle Jennings, which is Waylon Jennings' grandson, who is one of the dopest people on the planet when it comes to this stuff. These guys listen to the same music as I did growing up. They listen to UGK. They listen to Outkast. They listen to the, you know, the do or die. They listen to rap a lot and the ghetto boys. So, you know... What happens is they also listen to George Strait, Clint Black, you know, uh, the same country rap, the same country guys I listened to growing up. So you still have this feel, uh, you know, they still listen to Willie Nelson. So now you get this cross and this blend of something unique. And that's kind of what Screw did. He took something that everybody was familiar with and made it his own. He made it his, his own unique product. And that's what kind of the feel is right now. And that's what music is all about, making it your own, man. I'll never forget the first time I heard DJ Chill sing Amarillo by Morning in the middle of the night in a, in a studio, just fucking around. But uh, And that surprised me. I was like, really? You know, and Chill is actually a cowboy. Shout out to DJ Chill. Why don't we play another song, man? Give me an example of where you're at right now. What's what's next? All right, check it out. This is going to be me and Big Smo. This is Party at the Ranch. Man. On Pusher Mania's podcast. Party at the Ranch. There's a party at the ranch, man. Party at the ranch, man. Party at the ranch, man. Best believe it's going down. Party at the ranch, man. Party at the ranch, man. Party at the ranch. Everybody get towed out. There's a party at the ranch, man. Party at the ranch, man. Party at the ranch, man. Best believe it's going down. Party at the ranch, man. Party at the ranch, man. Party at the ranch. Everybody get towed out. There's a party at the ranch, man. Best believe it's going down. You better red. If you don't, then move around This knee slapping, toe tapping, country rapping, hold on The party's going live and everybody's getting towed on Bad little Betty's in the Chevy's and they jacked up the country boys are good with our guns in case you act up Two fifth and with the drinks, you know your boys got it, bro. My left hand got the styrofoam, my right hand got the Dixie cup A party ain't a party, so you know we brought the good stuff you Ain't waiting on me, man, gone, hair fired up Boots and bikinis, but country girls get up Blood to barbecue, we keep the shit lit up. There's a party at the ranch, man. Party at the ranch, man. Party at the ranch, man. Best believe it's going down. Party at the ranch, man. Party at the ranch, man. Party at the ranch. Everybody get towed out. There's a party at the ranch, man. Party at the ranch, man. Party at the ranch, man. Best believe it's going down. Party at the ranch, man. Party at the ranch, man. Party at the ranch. Everybody get towed out. Yeah, 
mind falls picking it The British with they tight jeans on and I'm feeling it Going live with some southern pride Scream if you digging it I got my hat on, shades on And you know I'm killing it Homemade wine and some shine No, we sip this country raps like some dip Best believe I'm spitting it Diamonds on, rhinestone, cowboy living Got some hay rolled up You know I'm hitting it Trash can punch, got some bang and some kicking it The bottles at the club, man, I the party's at the ranch, don't miss Cause this is it a party at the ranch, man Party at the ranch, man Party at the ranch, man Best believe it's going down Party at the ranch, man Party at the ranch, man Party at the ranch Everybody get the toe down There's a party at the ranch, man Party at the ranch, man Party at the ranch, man Best believe it's going down Party at the ranch, man Party at the ranch, man Party at the ranch Everybody get the toe down at the ranch man this shit went from the fucking swat to the ranch man <laughs> you know um when i got in touch with big smo uh i was locked up when i first seen this uh show on a and e and it came on right after duck dynasty and i was like who is this guy big smo you know and i started watching the tv show and then uh you know i was like you know when i come home one of the first people i want to reach out to is big smo so i contacted big smo he hit me right back he was like let's do the country rap tune remix i was like nah 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 i got something better than that so that's where party at the ranch came about uh he came down to texas i went on the texas leg of his tour and he introduced me to these mud parks and these country rap lanes and he said toe down this is where you need to be this is a high line and this is the mud park and these are what side by sides are and i was just blown away you know he'd get off stage and there'd be a line of three four hundred people buying merchandise from him and i'd be like okay I've been to rap shows before, and there's no line buying any type of merchandise. The only way you got merchandise at a rap show is if they threw it out to you on stage and gave it to you for free. You know, here are these guys paying $20 a t-shirt out here, and they're standing in a line for 45 minutes to talk to this guy. So, you know, the blueprint was already there for me. only thing I had to do was pick it up and run. So big shouts out to Big Smo. Um, definitely check out this new record. If you want to hear uh, more of what we got, just go to toedown.com, T-O-W-D-O-W-N. Put your email in, and I'll send you music for free all day long. Man. That's some shit, though, the whole free music thing, man. Tell me, first of all, I want to state for the record, it's a tragedy that someone went to jail for any amount of time for marijuana. It's some bullshit, and I'm hoping that the news we got this week doesn't go in that direction. I hope we start keep going in that positive direction but man dude when you were tell me think how much time were you spending you know locked up all day all night in 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 prison how much time did you think about reformulating your career and coming back out was that was you know because you said you went in going away from the music a little bit and you got into the weed like when you were in there and you had a lot of time to think about this shit was music a main focus at the- my first year was 
contemplating of things I missed. Uh, missing a Thanksgiving. Uh, my father had passed away. My mother had a stroke. I couldn't be there. Those were the first the first years. And it was, you know, it's tough your first year. But once your first year gets gets by you, it's really like basically you're not even doing time. You're basically hanging out with your homeboys. Every major event, you're cooking, you're smoking. I mean, for the first three years, for the first year, I was locked up at a high uh, security prison. The next two years, I, I did my time at Beaumont Low, and then the last two years, I was at a camp, which is really not a prison. We had more dope and weed and coke, and I mean, for my birthday, we had a pile of cocaine on the table with free world uh, liquor that, uh, you know, the girl would show up in her car, and we'd just drive the car off the campus and go get whatever we wanted, so it really wasn't even being, like, locked up. We had cell phones and everything, so, um, but my first year, I really missed everything. You know, I really missed being at home. And then, you know, when you get locked up, you are just like the guy next to you. You know, he's a number, you know, there's no staff, uh, uh, staffing where like, Oh, this guy is toe down. He's a rapper. He gets special privileges, you know? Um, in prison, you know, the black, guys hang out with the black guys the white guys hang out with the white guys the mexicans hang out with the mexicans but where i grew up that's not how i was so the same person you're out in the world is the same person you are in prison so i had a a chair at the black table i could go watch bet and then i could go hang out with the white guys and you know watch the country music awards and i was able to do both and i was able to go back and forth between these uh, two things. So being toe down in prison, I didn't let people know that I was in the music business. Now, if somebody found out about it, world would get around the campus and then everybody wanted to come up and rap and audition for me and everything else. So I started working on music programs in the prisons. Uh, you know, they didn't have much recording equipment or much stuff there. So we just dealt with what we had. But that's when I really started getting back into the love of music. Why I originally got into this business uh, was for the music and making good music. So what ended up happening was through these programs, I developed this passion all over again. So my last two years, I spent constantly writing. I got about 74 songs that I was just preparing to write to release when I you know, got home. Uh, but what ended up that doing was that was just pre-production. So when I got home, I didn't even use any of that material for my new album. I, you know, took a couple ideas, but I was so well in tune with my writing and my voice, you know, that had developed that um, it was all fresh. It was all new again. And that's what it felt like. It felt like putting together my first record again. But I had the experience of how to do it because I'd worked on, you know, three platinum records and a gold record. I got an MTV Moon Man. So I had all that experience. So the pre-production from the prison time, sitting down, focusing really what I want to do with my life. And I told myself, hey, listen, I'm going to give myself a year at this music thing. If things don't pop off and I don't have a deal, I'm going to go back and I'm going to do something else, you know, because I have other ways to make money. I just I don't need to really rap anymore. When you allegedly sell $10 million worth of weed a year for 14 years, you should have something. If not, you're stupid and you deserve to be in prison. So I don't really have to do music but it was one thing that was on my conscience that, hey, I want to go out and give it one last try. And to sit here, and like I was telling you when I walked up, if you'd have told me I'd have been in a situation where I'm now negotiating three new record contracts right now as we speak, two of them with Nashville, 
to uh, one out in LA without selling one record. I've been like, what dope are you smoking and how can I get some? So I'm on a good pace right now. And I feel that the music for me is keeping me relevant and I'm keeping music relevant at the same time. So um, I wasn't focused on music when I went in, but coming out, I seem to be more focused on music and making good music. And, you know, shouts out to the guys that are really doing some Travis Scott. I jam Travis Scott. Um, I like a couple of these new cats that are coming out. But to be honest with you, I'm more focused on making good quality music that Pimp C would be proud of, that Hawk would be proud of, that um, the people that I idolize that aren't here would be proud of. And that's what I'm focused on right now. Man, it fucks me up every day thinking about how much Pimp C was talking about lyrical content right before he died. How much he was saying how important it is that we got to feed these youths some lyrics. He was saying things and now we're like almost 10 years later looking at this shit like, uh, where, what didn't happen? Well, I'm glad you're back, man. Really glad you're back. And especially my heart, dude, thinking about, you know, all the people behind those, all the talent behind those walls, dude. That's why I stayed with KPFT at Damage Control so long because so many people listen to us from, from prison. They still do. They still listen to Chill and Them every Wednesday night. But fact of the matter is, man, tell me this. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna cry for a rapist. Probably won't cry for a lot of murderers, depending on their situation. But dude, I practically do I there is no fucking reason these people should be in jail for weed. How many people did you really see behind those walls that were in there for similar things as you? Uh well nonviolent drug offenders, but specifically weed. I'ma be real honest with you. Um I didn't know how big meth was until I got locked up in prison, where 95% of the people that are in there are meth cases. They're drug cases. And in my opinion, nobody should do more than five years for any amount of drugs, no matter what it is, cocaine, whatever. That's just my personal opinion. But you have to understand the war on drugs and how it came about. This is a money-making machine for the government. We, as drug offenders, are actually supplying jobs for people. The prison guards that are there could not get a job at Walmart. They are that stupid. I'm just being honest. I mean, it took to have them count, okay? When count time would come, it would take them three and four times to count 120 people. And they had clickers in their hand. So the people, so we're providing an industry for stupid people, okay? That's just, I'm just being real. Now, I'm not saying all, all prison guards are stupid, but the majority of them are are idiots plain and simple so we're provi- we're providing an industry right so the war on drugs itself and how it started against marijuana it all started because the Hearst family was into the timber business and once they found out that weed pulp produced six times as much weed paper pulp than trees did the Hearst did a slander campaign and that's why we originally have this weed we don't want weed in our country introduce Reagan introduced Bush now and now Clinton that comes in Bill Clinton comes in and really starts to enforce this drug war that separates families for 20 30 years for a drug crime it's incredible now there are child molesters that are in prison there are murderers in prison but federal prison is supposed to be reserved for the most violent crimes against America okay And what I did, I provided a service for people that needed marijuana. I didn't kill anybody. I provided jobs for my community. I provided an income for people. If you're young 
and you want to start a business, you can't go to a bank and get $50,000 to start a business, right? So if you come to me and say, toe down, I need a pound of weed, I can front you that pound of weed, and now you're introduced, introduced to a business world immediately. So I was providing jobs for hundreds of people at the time. So the market to entry was less because you can't go get a Popeye's franchise or a Burger King franchise because you don't have a million dollars liquid, you know. So when you come to me, I can give you $10,000 of weed on the front and you can, you're in the drug game right now making money today, you know. So to see these people locked up behind drugs, it's really crazy. You know, I tell people all the time, I'm a prisoner of the drug war. You know, I'm, I'm a POW, bro. I mean, I was locked up for a nonviolent crime that did not have a negative. I never sold to, you know, school kids or anything like that. The people that I sold to were professional athletes, your stars and your celebrities that you know well, and elected officials, judges, congressmen. These people are smoking weed, but the problem is, is that the doctor that I'm selling weed to, if you knew he smoked weed, you probably wouldn't use that doctor. Because what doctor, what, what, what kind? Of, if you're a person, you go see a doctor. Do you want to know that your doctor is a pothead? So there's a, a negative stereotype that's placed upon these potheads, that are placed upon weed people, that are people that do drugs. So once we get rid of that type of thinking in America, and we can make it more sociably accept, accepted, like we are now. Hopefully, we won't be regressing in this marijuana movement, but marijuana, it helps with Parkinson's. It helps with seizures. You can just look on Facebook and just see the videos. It's, I saw a video the other day of this girl punching herself in the face because she had these seizures, you know, these violent seizures. She smokes a little bit of the vapor and she's calm. This cop that had Parkinson's or something that's violently shaking smokes a little bit of weed and he's calm. And now the FDA just released that marijuana does kill cancer cells so marijuana in the federal government sense is a scheduled one narcotic which means it has no medical value so until we get it reclassified we're still gonna be fighting this you know this drug war which we shouldn't the rate of people that are still addicted to drugs it's the same as it was in 1970 when this started there has not been one dent produced from this drug war the only thing it's done is torn up families separated people and cost people time and made a whole bunch of people money so what we need to do is you need to contact your congressman your local rep your state senator you need to contact them and let them know that hey we need to legalize this immediately so real talk man and let's not we don't even have to get into the fact that they try to tell us the prison and all that could be for rehabilitation and try to help you there's no rehabilitation in prison listen i learn more okay when you're a criminal and you hang around other criminals the only thing you have to do all day is plot and plan criminal activities I know not only now how to make a tattoo gun, but I know how to make meth now. I know how to, you know, circumvent uh, taxes. I, when you meet somebody that is in there for tax evasion for $100 million, that's pretty interesting to me. I want to learn exactly what you did and how you did it. So now I know how to get around certain tax moves. I know how, if I needed to, how to pr- make a larger enterprise. You know, there's guys in there for counterfeiting money. I know how to counterfeit money now. You know, so when you have those type of people and you're surrounded with those type of elements all day long, the only thing you do is sit there and talk. And, you know, there's 
no rehabilitation in there. I was in a drug rehabilitation program, and there was more drugs in that program and people getting high and messed up than in the whole compound. You know, everybody thought that the drug rehabilitation program was a a safe place. Every weekend they were turning up. Every weekend people were getting high. People were smoking K2 and everything else out there. I mean, it's going down at a camp. Like, you wouldn't even believe. First of all, a federal camp shouldn't even exist. You know, there's no, there's one prison guard and there's no fence. You know, you could put me at home. I could be paying taxes. I could be helping out some way. But they don't want to do that. They want to have that job security for those couple, four or five people that are on that compound. So it's really kind of crazy. But, you know... The drug war needs to end. But I could talk about this all day long, all night long. But, you know, if y'all want some good music, go to toedown.com. I'll send it to you for free all day long, too. I feel that. It feels like the 90s right now. It feels like what we used to do sitting around smoking blunts. I'm a man, there's an end this drug war, man. That's what I'm saying. But you have the experience and you have the, the knowledge right now to back it up. And it's important that you bring your voice out and talk about these things. This is important. We, You know, one of the most important things in my mind, if, of course, is prison reform. But also this whole weed thing, I've always said marijuana being illegal, if you look at them making a plant from God illegal, you can relate that to every other law in the land. You can call bullshit on so many things when you think about like weed, like why are you concerned with weed? I could, we, you and I could go right now and buy so much whiskey we could die right now we could go drink so much whiskey our livers fall out we die on the floor here and that is what and we're totally allowed to do that but we can't you know we could smoke a pound of weed and not die <laughs> anheuser bush is the largest beer distributor in the world right now okay but you don't see charges being brought against their ceo like weed charges were brought against me i didn't marijuana if you look this up marijuana there's no deaths related to marijuana at all, period. You can't overdose from smoking marijuana. You know, if you and I get high right now, we're not going to go rob somebody and kill them and tie them up. Only thing we're going to go rob is your refrigerator and get some of that ice cream and some Cheetos, and that's it. So, you know, Which are more unhealthy than marijuana. <laughs> probably so. So with, so with that being said, you know, we have this disconnect of, I don't want to. I don't want to say this, you know, fake news, but that's what we've been broadcast to our whole lives is that hey, marijuana is bad. This is bad. When in actuality, let's get to the facts about the stuff. Let's get to the facts. And you know, I got a couple songs on the new record that talk about this situation and my experiences and leading up to getting locked up. So. Um, again, I could sit here and talk about weed with you all day long. I mean, there's only two things that I love better than uh, music, and one of them's weed, and the other one's Jesus. So we can get into that all day long. Right, I'm with that, man. I'm with that. Well, you know, you are also in Houston. The Christian hip hop community in Houston is strong, man. And I got to see Lecrae perform at the Super Bowl, Super Bowl, just a few weeks ago with Calvin Martyr from here in Austin, and Calvin Martyr. I need you to, I'm going to send you some stuff from him. Yeah. Pyrex too. I mean, but Calvin to me is, he's a Christian rapper and he's one of the hardest young dudes I've heard in a minute. Like hands down. I tell people all the time, I'm a Christian and I rap, but I'm not a Christian rapper, but I do have this new song. It's called center man. And we'll play it next. And basically it tells uh, my uh, examination of conscience. And that's what it is, you know? So uh, check out center man, hit us up. Let us know what you think. Man, you're tuned in to Pusher Mania's podcast. We're live in the studio with Toe Down, and we'll be right back after this. 
Bless me, Father. For I have sinned. It's my last confession. I'm tired of living bad I'm tired of being jealous of what other people have Being a slave to the minimum wage only makes me mad Raised on food stamps cause all we ever had So I started slinging bags just to try to make some ends Addicted to the high life but it's killing all my friends All my boys that ain't dead are locked up in the pen In a society of death with the temptation to sin Pushing me to the brink so it's sink or swim Just a lost soul on parole, where do I fit in? Contemplating suicide, ain't no life in the cell On the wrong side of heaven, but the righteous side of hell of an angel but it's the angel of death i keep calling out to god but he ain't yet as i walk through the fire i feel like this is a test can a dope boy retire without his soul in debt i push poison on people that made him a slave to sin they would die for a fix i keep killing my kin for the root of all evil so that i can pretend have the illusion of wealth plus plenty of fake friends for the so-called having it all living the life even though that i know i ain't living it right just to trick this chick into give me some tail I'm on the wrong side of heaven But the righteous side of hell you're going here i love you know you said the word consciousness a few minutes ago it's important to hear these things from from our from rappers from legends like yourself and hopefully uh as things happen we've seen the new jack swing era we've seen all kinds of different things come and go in rap and i feel like as we keep progressing things can come around to more real lyricism and and really talking about things as right now is the time we got to really start talking well, you know, you had said a statement earlier about how you went to New York. And, you know, for a long time, East Coast rap has been known as a lyrical rap. And now to hear East Coast mumbling and jumbling is not really lyrical, you know, you know, that's kind of a, you know, a disappointment. But it's time for, you know, the South to stand up 
put this lyrical content down and really own Houston again, really own Texas music again, really come out with some dope stuff. And I'm glad I'm back home so I can help produce other records now for, you know, Paul and uh, Slim and Zero and all these other guys. And what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to set a new tone, a new bar that, hey, real music is back. And it's back with a bang. Real lyricism is back, and it's back with a bang. And be proud. Hey, listen, I'm from Houston, Texas. I'm gonna rep this till I die. I represent the screwed up click. I'm gonna rep that till I die. I represent Pimp C and UGK. I'm gonna rep that till I die. Yeah, and you H Town, you little young bucks. Don't forget uh, if you want to really study up on your history and things. Don't forget that Scarface is from Houston. Don't forget about a Bun B. Don't forget about a Willie D. Don't forget about a K Reno. Don't forget about Street Military. Don't forget about the po- politics the terrorists brought to the table. Oh, yeah. Don't forget about all these the dudes who laid the foundation for you. Don't forget what an incredible MC three two was. Don't ever forget what hawk brought to the table you know what i mean like don't forget about you know what the real houston history is houston history existed way before 2004 5 and 6 it really did man and i really thank you for coming down and talking I w- if we had this fucking mic on for the whole time we've been talking today people would get a real history <laughs> lesson it would been a nine hour podcast of like real shit though Man, it's a pleasure. I'm really glad you're back. And you said toedown.com. Just go to toedown.com, T-O-W-D-O-W-N.com. Put in your uh, email address. And what I do is every time I record something out of the studio, before I send it to SoundCloud or anything else, I send it to the fan base, who I don't consider fans, but my family. So go to toedown.com and uh, enter your email. And I'll send you the new dope stuff all for free. Man, let's play one more new dope stuff real quick. Let's end the show off. What do you want to end with? listen, you know, I'm from H-Town. This song right here is called Clean, and it's just that old, nostalgic H-Town clean song, but with a new twist live for 2017. This is your boy Toe Down, and this is Clean. Man, and I'm Matt Sanzala. This is Pusher Mania's podcast. You can get me on the SoundCloud.com slash Pusher Mania, the iTunes, the Stitcher, the TuneIn Anywhere you get your podcast, you should be able to find me. And if you can't, shoot me an email, Matt at pushermania.com, and tell me where I need to be. This thing happens when it happens. Subscribe to me on, like I said, the iTunes or the SoundCloud, ideally, and we'll uh, see you again soon. Break these boys off the dome on this one. Screwed up click. Southside soldier. Mr. Country Rap Tune. That's right. I'm back in the building. Let's do this. Stepping out the slab, looking so clean. Gucci's on my feet, man, red, blue, and green. Your trick to eye, now your bitch on my team I'm a ball, baby, man, I've been sipping lean Cup full of mold, man, switch it full of green High octane on it, rolling up supreme Been pushing weight, still serving up the fiend Get a bit, bounce back, fucking up the sink You talking, man, I live it, man, I'm living out my dreams Got my knots in my pocket, man, I'm still stacking cheese Against in the flesh, I got G's on my jeans Fresh up out the feds and I'm coming out clean Clean, I'm coming, 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 I'm coming,
coming, I hear the whispers when I walk Chilling with my bra like my name is Big Hawk I'm a legend in the streets and no G in the game Real recognized to respect my name It's the Texas Tycoon, it's the country rap team Stepping out clean, back, back and make room You can smell my money when you smell my cologne You know I'm rich, bitch, from what I got on I spent your rent trick with this mother style phone Meet your bitch tonight, man, and tomorrow's in the home You can fuck my old hoes, I got a whole new team This is just routine when you're oh so clean Yeah. 